Being on the front lines in the fight to educate the next generation is tough. The goal of this podcast is to provide you with important updates, encouragement, and connection. Welcome to the Institute Leaders Lifeline. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Institute Leaders Lifeline. My name is Mike Sinclair, Deputy Superintendent of School Support at the Charter Institute at Erskine. And today I'm joined by Katie Graybill in the studio running the cameras and the lights and the sound. So Katie, thanks for joining us today. Uh, really appreciate you pitching in. Things are really busy around the office and Katie does a fantastic job. So for our leaders, you know who Katie is. Make sure that you tell her thanks next time you see her for all of the great things that go out, social, this is just one example of her learning new things and doing a great job. So today I wanna to jump into our topic and we're a little bit in between series. So I want you to bear with me today. Today's topic is gonna to be the moments that make us. So I want you to take a minute to think about your life like a recipe. So if, if your life is like a recipe and you're at a point in your life of leadership or maybe you're on the verge of entering leadership what made you the person you are? What made you the leader you are? So if your life is a recipe, what were the ingredients that came in to the bowl to mix everything up? You know, I was actually talking to Katie earlier today and we were talking about some of those events and how you don't notice them at the time, but later in life when you reflect, you realize you're really made up of a lot of different events or different conversations that you don't realize are key at the time but later you might. So at the end of today's episode, I'm gonna challenge you to think about what are the ingredients that are in the recipe of your life? So I'm gonna give you five of mine. I'm gonna share five. Some are funny, some are not, some are pretty serious. I've kind of alluded to some of those in other episodes, but today I wanna to give you an example from my life so that maybe it'll help you think through your life and how you unpack the recipe of your life. So let's start out. When I was a kid, I think about some conversations that I had, of course, with my father. I'll get to those in just a second. But with my grandfathers, they were older. They were, you know, they they, they were the icons in my life. Um, the first one is a uh, a memory of following my father's father, and he ran or he was in charge of maintenance for a large apartment complex in the '70s and '80s in a suburb of Washington D.C. And I called him Pop. And Pop would go out in the evenings and check all the boilers. Yes, that's how old this story is. These giant apartment complexes were run by boiler heat and uh, boilers for the hot water. And so he would have to go every night and check those gauges. Whether it was snow, whether it was raining, no matter what was going on, he had to go and check the pressure and check the systems to make sure everything was safe and everything would be taken care of over the evening before he came back on for a shift the next day. Well, when I was up there visiting him and staying with them, they would he would take me around and see uh, all of these different moving parts. And as a kid, I was fascinated at these huge boilers and all the pipes and the gauges and how he understood how all of that worked. Uh, he taught me that the, the, the mastery of being great is not in what your job is. It really wasn't a hard job, but it was a critical job and he had to do it and he had to do it right. Lots of people were depending on him doing his job right. No matter the circumstances, he had to make sure he upheld that uh, obligation to the people that he took care of in his role as a maintenance supervisor. I learned that as a young 
child following him around. And so I didn't really think about it, of course, at the time. But today in reflecting on my life, I realize that that's important to me, that if you have a job, you do it right, no matter what it is. And the smallest of jobs can often be the most important job. They don't get the most uh, uh, highlights. They don't get the most compliments. People aren't going around going, you check that heat gauge really well on that boiler. But people will notice when it's not working. So sometimes the smallest jobs are the most important jobs. I learned that as a kid. Second uh, memory that I'll bring in here uh, really goes together with that. So I'm gonna count them as one, my grandfather memories. My second one is my grandfather ran, uh, or was the, 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 the manager of the te large textile mill, the center textile mill in Whitmire, South Carolina. Uh, his name was Papa T. Papa T, or that's what I called him, Papa T taught me the importance of uh, handling people in a respectful way and all of the things that came through in leading a business. Um, I'm gonna tell you a funny story here uh, that is kind of a side note, but it really taught me uh, how important looking back on human resources or looking at, at, at management, never thought about myself as managing a company, but one of my earliest memories was uh, with my imaginary friend. Uh, I called him John Dilla. I really think his name in my mind was John Dillard, but I was really country back then, as if I'm not now. And I think I just kind of cut that name off and called him John Dilla. My parents tell this story uh, and they love to tell it. And as they're telling it, I can remember it. In my mind, I was in the back of an auditorium and I was talking to John Dilla. Now, as I told you he was my imaginary friend, you're probably thinking he was an age-appropriate imaginary friend. I was preschool age, I wasn't in kindergarten yet. So you would think I would have a, an imaginary friend that would be age-appropriate, not this guy. This guy being raised by a human resource father and human resource grandfather as big influence in my life, this was an employee of mine. John Dilla worked for me as a kid in my imaginary mind. And the story goes, and I remember it vividly, I was talking to John Dilla in the back of this auditorium and I said out loud to where my parents could hear me, John Dilla, you can't retire, you're fired. <laughs> you're fired. Where did those words come from? But it tells me that I was listening at that age to a lot of the HR conversations, a lot of the management conversations that my father and my grandfather were having, and I was part of it at some level. You're fired. You can't retire. Where does that come from in a preschool-aged boy? Well, it came out of my mouth, so at some point I was listening. Those are ingredients in my preschool mind of following one grandfather around doing the smallest of jobs in a lot of people's eyes, but probably one of the most important jobs in keeping people safe and comfortable, and then listening to HR conversations. Now, let's go on to memory number two or impact number two here. This is my father. So, we would sit around the dinner table. Now, we would talk about general stuff. How was your day? How's school? What have you got coming up? All of those type things. But my father loved to bring home examples from his job in human resource. He was a, a human resource manager for several large companies. And so he would give us scenarios at the table, but he would only give us a piece of the scenario uh, and then ask us what we would do. See, what he was trying to do is teach us to ask questions. He was teaching us without 
telling us he was teaching us because we know with kids, uh, especially our own kids, when we're sitting around the table, if we say, hey, I'm going to tell you something, I'm going to teach you something, they're like, oh, dad, really? We don't have time for that. Or, ah, oh, I've been in school all day. I don't want to. But he taught us through stories. So he would give us a scenario and force us indirectly to ask him questions about it. Well, well, what about this? Or did the person say that? Or was this uh, a part of the story? And so we would pull out this information from him. And when we would pull out more and more of the scenario and the facts, then we would start answering his question. Well, what would you do if you were in my position? And so without realizing it, my father was teaching me to manage situations, not, not just people, but manage situations. You have to ask questions. You can't just take things on the surface and react to a limited amount of information. You have to find out why, how, when, who, all of those pieces. So as a leader, that played a part in my life. That was really probably more middle, early high school. We were having these conversations. So, so you think about my grandpa, my grandfather's when I was really young, my father here in this middle, middle school, early high school time really set me on a path of leadership skills that I wouldn't use for 15 more years, probably. So as I unpack the recipe of my life, I know that those are two really important ingredients. Now I could tell you others, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna fast forward here to another one. Let's, let's fast forward to proposing to my wife. I decided we were, uh, let me back up a minute. We were into to hiking. We did some day hiking. Not We're not Appalachian Trail hikers, but some day hiking. And if you're from the upstate of South Carolina, know the area, you know that there's a, an area called Jones Gap. And they've got some really neat hiking trails up there. And so <clears throat> I wanted to propose to my wife at the top of this rock, this way up. If you put your back to the bathrooms, uh, if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. And you look up, there's a bald rock that sits up there. And that's where I wanted to propose to her. So we set out on this hike. And, and on the way up, she was tired. And she kept, oh, you know, talking about turning around. Let's go back. I'm, I'm tired. And uh, I said, come on, let's go. Come on, we can do this. We got this together. And I just kept encouraging her. And we got up there. And I proposed, and thankfully she said yes. That would have been awful to make her suffer all the way up just to tell me no. But she said yes, and we reflected at that moment on, just imagine if you had turned around. And so we really just kind of soaked up the, we have to do this together because we're going to have mountains to climb, and we need to make sure that we're doing it together. One of us is going to be tired. All of the romantic symbolisms that you can think of, of working to get up that mountain together and uh, proposing. And now we were engaged. Well, now we're coming down the mountain and I'm the one that my knees started hurting. And I was like, oh, I don't know that I can make it down. Let's just sit down a little bit and let's. And so she coaxed me down. So it was very uh, serendipitous. It was very um, fitting of that moment that we had to help each other, one up and one down, get through that journey of, uh, the proposal, our, our, our proposal, our engagement uh, right there. And so I think back on that um, often when I think about situations that I'm in that are uncomfortable or when I think that I don't have a way out is if I'm in this with, with my wife in that situation or with other trusted people, we can do it together. We can, we can do it together. There's collaboration, it's cooperation, it's support, 
that really can get us through the tough times when we don't think we can go any further. So that's the third ingredient in my recipe I'd like to share in this one. Now, the fourth ingredient here was the first day that I became principal. See, I was a, I use the word victim, of be careful what you ask for. I uh, was in a program with Greenville County Schools and Furman University to train new administrators. It's a compressed time, very focused, got us uh, through, I think there were 10 of us. At the end of it, I told the superintendent, if you ever need me, let me know. I'd be glad to help you out. Thanks for giving me this opportunity. It wasn't long. Literally, it was uh, before the next school year started, <clears throat> I get a call that says, hey, we had this emergency uh, principal resignation. I just want you to apply for the job for the experience. Well, I'll fast forward. I got the crazy job. I had just turned 30. As a matter of fact, I was naive as naive can be. I'll be honest, I'd never sat in the administrator's seat. That was going to be my first year as an assistant principal. So I was very new to the role. <laughs> that would be an understatement. I really wasn't sure what all I was getting myself into. So here it is. So first day I'm announced at my new school, Berea Middle School. I remember walking down this hallway flanked by the current principal or, or interim principal and then the superintendent was with me. I felt like, you know, um, Tom Hanks character in the, the, the movie Big where when he's in his suit and he goes back to being young and the suit just hangs on him. That's how I felt in my suit. Like I was some little teenager walking in front of the staff and introducing myself as now I'm here as the leader of this school. Very veteran staff. It's very humbling. It was, I knew I could change the world, but then when you get in the situation, you start kind of wondering, can I change? So that, a few days later, I had some men come into my office and they were uh, concerned because men had to wear ties and the women didn't have to dress nearly as formal and they didn't think it was fair the men had to wear ties. Here I was right at the beginning, a few days into it, and they're wanting me to make a fairly significant change. And I didn't know really what the whole culture of the school was at the moment. So I had to pause in the moment and I went back to think about some of the earlier experiences in my life. And so I knew that I needed to answer them, but I knew I needed to ask more questions lesson my father taught me around the dinner table. So what I decided was my response would be, I need some time. Let me have until Christmas. If I can't find a good reason that you have to keep wearing your ties by Christmas, then let's revisit this conversation. And you know what? They were good with that. I had heard them. I acknowledged their concerns. I had a plan and a date that I would make another decision or at least revisit it. And it gave me a chance to figure these things out. I was able to go back on prior experiences and make some of those. So I went in humble and that's always stuck to me. You don't ever know all the answers. Even if you know a circumstantial evidence or circumstantial answer, you might not know all of the things that play into that decision. So you have to take a minute, ask some questions, think through it, ask for time, communicate clearly. All of that really hit me in that moment as another ingredient in my life. So as I lead today, I'm always quick to listen and quick to ask questions for understanding and not quick to make an immediate decision on something that could impact the situation in ways I don't foresee because I don't really know what the whole circumstance is.
Now I'm gonna share the last episode or the last ingredient um, in my life here, and it's very personal. Um, I've alluded to it before in earlier episodes. It's, it's pretty, it's, 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 it's personal. It was a, a day in October, um, October of 2016. Uh, I, I remember it clearly. I was at home by myself. Lots of things were going on at school. It was a lot of self-doubt. Um, I was questioning myself. I had a lot of pressure there. Um, at home, uh, we as a family had some uncertainty going on in our family, and I started questioning myself there. And that is the moment. That's the moment when my mind took over who I was. And I had so much self-doubt that really the paralyzation of uh, depression and anxiety hit me. And I can remember all I could do is lay on that bed, bury my head in a pillow, and wait for it to leave. Wait for that whole moment to move. I don't want to go into examples of what I was thinking or, 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 or where I really was as as an individual in that mental state, I will say that when my wife came in, came home from work and found me and kind of got me back into the moment, she said, what were you feeling? What's going on? She was trying to understand. And all I could tell her is it was so loud, I couldn't make it stop. That's an important ingredient in my recipe because that's where uh, unhandled stress, unhandled anxiety, not having a routine and an outlet for all of those as a leader, that's where it can get you. It doesn't matter how much success or accolades or any of those things you have on you. What you believe about yourself is who you really are to yourself. It's not about what people say about you. So that's an important Peace. And we've talked about dealing with stress and anxiety, and I don't want to re revisit all those, but it's become who I am. It's why today I've gotten back into running, because that was what helped turn my life around at that moment was getting an outlet, doing something physical, believing the narrative in your head can be different. And so you have to make those changes. Those are five things in my life, five ingredients in the recipe. There's probably others that I could share, but those are the five that stood out. So I want to leave those with you. Today, I see those in nearly everything that I do. As a retired principal now and in this job, I've made it a commitment to reflect on what plays a part in who I am as a leader. And these are the kinds of things that come out. I have been unpacking my life. I challenge you, take some time. Don't wait till the end. Unpack your life now. Think about what are the ingredients, what, what, are, the, what are the parts of the recipe of your life that got you to where you are today? What, what are the motivations? What are the joys? What are the fears? What's your purpose? All of those things. So spend some time this week unpacking your recipe. Think about the ingredients that make you the leader you are. I promise it'll help you understand your tendencies and it's gonna lead you to be more effective and comfortable with yourself in those moments of doubt, in those moments where you need some motivation. Spring's near, my friend. Go outside and enjoy the warm weather. Take care of yourself and take care of those you lead. Be sure to follow the Institute on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. At Erskine Charters, we'll have all of these resources, including this podcast, many stories of our schools, and other things. So check us out. The opinions expressed within the content are solely the authors and do not reflect the opinions and beliefs of the Charter Institute at Erskine or its affiliates.